Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. Listen now to the word of the Lord. And they came to Bethesda, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Uh, welcome. Um, I was a little anxious about getting in the pulpit today. It's been about two months uh, since I've preached a sermon here. Um, so um, before I offer uh, the sermon this morning, uh, let me say um, a word of thanks uh, for all the support um, for me and my family uh, in these recent weeks and, and months. Um, I want to I thank uh, the session uh, for allowing me this time away uh, from my responsibilities and from preaching uh, so that I could be with, uh, with my mom. Um, you know, the session, they were, they were so thoughtful in anticipating uh, my needs, um, securing guest preachers uh, for uh, more weeks than I anticipated um, and even said, you know, I could have this Sunday off too. Um, I, I'm just really thankful for all the extra work that they did so that uh, what was lacking on my part um, was not, you know, too uh, much of a problem. Um, I also want to thank uh, Pastor Danny and Pastor Dohi. They're not here uh, right now, but because um, they had to do a lot of extra work, uh, extra preaching and, and uh, leading worship, uh, especially on top of all the extra work they already had. Uh, during the busy holiday season, so I'm very thankful for them as well. And of course, all of you, uh, the congregation, um, you know, your presence in my life, uh, whether physically or through your words and spirit, uh, really meant a lot and was a, a source of encouragement uh, throughout this time, uh, for not just for me, but for my whole family. And so uh, thank you also. I know that the collection was taken on our behalf, and so uh, thank you for your, the, the generosity and uh, the pastoral care uh, you provided for, uh, for all of us. Um, I'm really just very thankful uh, to, to have been able to spend the time uh, with, with my family uh, during my mom's last uh, few days. So uh, your support that made that possible. So uh, thank you. Uh, let's pray together. Um, <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for uh, this day that you have made. And... Um, God, let the, the words of my mouth this morning and the meditations of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our God, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. So because it's the uh, year 2020, I suspect that many churches and preachers will have as a theme for the church year this idea of seeing clearly, of seeing 2020. 
having a 2020 vision and, and things of that nature. So I know it's not particularly imaginative of me to pick a text of a blind man receiving his sight this morning. I also know that in the fall, uh, Pastor Dohi and Enoch did a pad- podcast on this passage for our uh, Sunday morning Bible study on the Gospel of Mark, and that one of our guest speakers, uh, Pastor Jim Ohm, uh, preached on this text uh, not too long ago in December. But this is a text that I've wanted to preach on for, for many months, actually, and so and as I heard uh, Pastor Jim's sermon, uh, I noticed that his sermon focused on the broader context of our reading, uh, with the emphasis on Jesus's, uh, on Jesus as the Lord of all of life, of letting go of our own ambitions, and of calling us to a deeper and more committed life of discipleship in following him. Uh, that's a fine sermon. Uh, but today, uh, I want to draw your attention to some other aspects of this healing story. Uh, As you heard, a blind man recovers his sight in a very unique two-step healing process. Normally, in other healing stories, Jesus simply declares the healing, or he touches someone just once, and the healing is complete. So what we expect to hear in this story, when Jesus touches him the first time is something like the man is healed, the man praises God, and the crowds are in awe of what they have just witnessed. But instead, Jesus touches the man's eyes a second time before he is able to see clearly. Jesus does something here very uncharacteristic of him, and I'm not talking here about the fact that he spit in his eyes, uh, because Jesus will use spit on at least two other healing occasions. What's really unexpected here is the question that Jesus asks regarding the healing. Do you see anything? Jesus never asked anyone else how their healing went. So why does Jesus ask this man, do you see anything? Doesn't Jesus know? Is Jesus actually unsure if the man is healed? Is Jesus doubting his own powers to heal in this moment? Was there something particularly difficult about this man's illness? Was it because this is happening around the city of Bethsaida, and according to the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus proclaimed a denouncement on this city for their lack of repentance? If so, then was was the lack of faith on the part of the city preventing somehow power from going out from Jesus? Is that why Jesus leads the man out away from the city? Because he wasn't sure that this was going to work? I know that's a lot of unanswered questions. And as you know by now, I don't have a lot of answers. Um, But I do have a few reflections that I want to start to make. And Like the two-stage healing, I want to do this over two weeks. So, the sermon today may be a little unclear. So you have to come back next week, and you'll see more clearly. That's my hope. First reflection I want to make is this. 
We're told that the story takes place around Bethsaida. Bethsaida means the house of fishing, and you may recall that this is the hometown of Peter, the, the fisherman, as well as Andrew and Philip, and perhaps a few of his other disciples. But what's of interest to us this morning is how Jesus ended up in this place. If we go back a couple of chapters in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus miraculously feeds the 5,000, and then according to chapter 645, Jesus immediately made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowds. So Jesus had planned on coming here right after the feeding of the 5,000, but en route, while they were in the boat, a storm hit and knocked the boat off course, and they did not get to Bethsaida. So in chapters 6, 7, and 8, Jesus and his disciples end up spending significant time wandering about in Gentile territory, in Tyre and in Sidon and in the Decapolis while they're making their way to Bethsaida. And it's during this time, during this detour, that Jesus encounters the Syrophoenician woman whom he heals. Uh, he heals her daughter. He heals a uh, person who is deaf. And he miraculously feeds another 4,000. And only after this extended ministry in Gentile territory does he finally now end up here in Bethsaida. You know that Jesus has a very clear sense of his mission and purpose of his life. He is headed to Jerusalem. But he has to take, like all of us, an unexpected detour and gets there in a roundabout way. And I hope this is an encouragement to you Think about where you are today. Maybe New Jersey is not where you are headed or were headed or want to be. Maybe you wanted to be in California. But a storm hit, knocked you off course, and here you are. Maybe you wanted to go to a certain college or marry a certain someone or have that certain job or career, and some storm hit that was unexpected and knocked you off course and brought you here. It happens. It happened to Jesus. I think it's easy to get derailed and then to become disappointed with a detoured life. It's easy to be disappointed with yourself, with your family, with your parents, with your kids, with your church, as you look back and reflect on the detours of your life. Maybe that dream job you didn't get or that painful breakup with someone you thought was perfect for you. It's easy to have regrets about these decisions and wonder, what if? What if that storm didn't hit at that moment? Where would I be? And so some people start having these daydreams of regrets, of imagining parallel universes where they've made a different decision in life, where they avoided certain detours, and somehow their life turned out to be better. In fact, you can get an app for that now. I just heard about this app called the Universe Splitter. Anybody hear about this one? 
download this app, and suppose you have a decision and you're not sure what to do. Suppose you can't decide between eating a hot dog or a hamburger for lunch today. Big decision. So you put in hamburger and hot dog in the app, and you choose one. When you choose one, the app, this is true, supposedly, the app sends some sort of signal to a place in Switzerland where they will actually split a photon, thus creating, according to quantum theory, another universe. So here you are in this universe, having chosen a hot dog, but by pressing that button, you just split the universe so there's a parallel universe in which you have chosen the hamburger. That's one way, I suppose, and it's only $1.99. You know, I thought about that, and I thought, you know, actually, I think that would make me more angry, right? Because I'm thinking, if I made a bad choice, then my identical self in some other parallel universe is enjoying a better life than me. So maybe, you know, I'm enjoying it there, but I don't know about that. I just know that he's enjoying it more. I don't want that. It's easy to get lost in those kind of fantasies. I think it's also easy to blame the storms that knock you off course unfairly or displace you to where you don't want to be. But Jesus never seems to mind. He continued to do ministry in Tyre and Sidon, just like he had done in Galilee and in Judea and now in Bethsaida. He didn't let an unforeseen detour keep him from living out his mission of healing and of teaching and feeding and of going to Jerusalem. Instead, I think these detours and interruptions served a greater purpose. I think he saw them as opportunities for growth and further ministry. He had these significant interactions with people that he would not have had otherwise. In fact, I think his time in this Gentile territory expanded his vision of God's kingdom. He understood more deeply God's love for the entire world and the salvation of the world for which he was headed to Jerusalem. I think he learned things there that he could not have learned otherwise. And so the storm that knocked the disciples off course wasn't just so that the disciples could learn something about faith from Jesus. It was also so that Jesus could learn something about the Gentiles. And now, because of that timing of that delay, Jesus has an opportunity to meet this blind man. I know some of you, more than others, like to be in control, and you don't like detours and surprises and interruptions. But we all have them. Maybe you're in the middle of a storm right now that is throwing you off course from the dream of your life. Maybe you're facing a relational difficulty, physical illness, spiritual malaise, or maybe some failure at home, at work, or at school. Maybe you've been blown off course from what you thought you deserved or what you wanted. But maybe it's not 
bad. Maybe the storm is God's divine wind, a spirit-blown opportunity that God is giving you for further growth and ministry. So maybe the question we need to ask during this detour isn't, how can I get out of this? But rather, what opportunities for growth and ministry are being presented to me because I've been knocked off course? Maybe the time away from Bethsaida is God preparing you so that when you do get there, you'll be better equipped to handle what you will see there. At the very least, you can trust God's timing so that instead of always thinking about where you wish you could be, you can instead focus on where you are and the people that you are with. The second reflection I want to make is that, you know, I was really struck this time by this phrase, some people in our reading. We're told that the blind man is brought to Jesus by some people. Um, In the Greek, the word some people doesn't even appear. It's only indicated by the plural for, you know, they brought. So uh, some translations, they just go with they brought him to Jesus. They, some people brought him. So it could be that these people, they, some people were friends who brought Jesus to meet Jesus and be healed. In Mark 2, we have the story of these four friends who bring their paralytic friend. Remember, they they lower him through the roof because it was so crowded so that um, he could be healed. And it tells us that Jesus, seeing their collective faith, not necessarily the, the faith of the paralytic, heals him. So maybe this blind man also is fortunate to have a a group of people in his life that some people in his life loved him and looked out for him and brought him to Jesus. But as I read the story, I think some people, they, were not his friends. I think they were just wanting to see Jesus do a miracle. I say this because the man is brought to Jesus and When he's brought to Jesus, Jesus takes him away from them because some people are a pain in the neck. Had they been friends or family, I think Jesus would have performed the healing in their presence as he often did with other family members. And then notice that after the healing, Jesus doesn't bring him back to some people. Instead, he tells him to to, don't even go back near there. And instead, he tells him, just, just go home. I think it is vitally important for us to remember that this man did not choose to come to see Jesus in faith. As far as we know, he was not moved by faith to seek Jesus, as will be the case of another blind man that we'll hear about later. This man did not receive sight because of his faith, nor because he sought out Jesus. There is no hint here that he knew who Jesus was or even of his reputation, or that he had any expectation of being healed. He was simply taken to Jesus by some people who may not even had his interests in mind. It occurs to me that this is how most of us end up meeting Jesus. Because some people took you to him. Isn't that true? Maybe some people, like your parents or a spouse, made you go to church. And that's how you met Jesus. That's why you're here. If you grew up in a Christian home, you probably weren't looking 
for Jesus or to be healed or anything like that. But they just brought you to church. They just brought you. You came because some people just brought you. It wasn't your choice. Now, again, I know that in the broader context of the gospel story, this lived-out parable points us toward discipleship and following Jesus, following the suffering Jesus to the cross. But before we get to that, this healing reminds us that the healing is entirely an act of grace. It is unearned, unmerited. Grace comes before discipleship. Always it comes before. The man is healed and healed fully because Jesus chose to do it. Not because the man came to him in faith or somehow deserved it. The man did nothing. All we know is that some people brought him. That's grace. That's grace. You know, God places people, some people in our lives, to bring us to Jesus. Some people who may not necessarily be people of faith or people who love you. Right? Let's face it. Some people in our lives, we don't know what to do with them. Some people are a source of constant irritation. Some people never appreciate anything you will do for them. Some people will never get it no matter how often you try to love them. And yet it's these very same people who sometimes inadvertently will bring you to Jesus. If for no other reason, out of sheer exasperation, they will lead you to prayer. And that will bring you to Jesus. God calls people to himself in a variety of ways. And sometimes it is through the gift of faith so that it appears like we initiated it and that we are seeking God. But that faith itself is also a gift. Then at other times we'll find healing when we aren't even looking because people just happen to intervene in our lives. Either way, it's it's, it's always grace. And this man's healing reminds us once again that grace comes first. Third reflection I want to make is that this man was touched three times. This healing is really interesting because, as you know, Jesus touches his eyes twice. The first time, he spits in his eyes before touching him. And before, you know, you get totally grossed out by that, um, the saliva was considered to have uh, medicinal value. Um, I think, you know, like, even today, like when you, like, uh, when you cut your finger or something, right, you instinctively suck on it, right? No, just me. <laughs> Isn't that what you do? Like, you get a cut and you just like, right? That's saliva. Okay, it's not, it's not someone else's saliva, but it's still saliva, right? Or even like when, when a child gets hurt and, and you kiss the boo-boo, I mean, there's not a lot of saliva being exchanged there, but right, it's, 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 it's the same idea. There's this sense uh, somehow that there's uh, healing properties there. And so when Jesus touches him this first time, the man sees well enough to recognize people walking like trees, people that are probably you know, walking toward him to see what's going on. But his vision seems to be blurred so that people look like walking trees. I find this really just really interesting. How many of you 
wear glasses or some sort of corrective, like contacts or something? Just raise your hands. I mean, right? The majority of us wear some sort of uh, corrective lenses. You know, scholars estimate that a significant percentage of the ancient world was visually impaired and that nearsightedness was as common then as it is today. So imagine that. Imagine today if none of us had access to glasses or contacts or LASIK. Can you imagine? Can you imagine driving? Right? Can you imagine sitting in the back and, right? Looks like a tree waving in the wind. Right? What would we see? Annie Dillard, in her book, Pilgrim at Tinker Lake, mentions another book by Mary Smith called Space and Sight, in which she describes the experiences of people who received sight for the first time when cataract surgery became available. He says that those who were born blind, the initial experience of seeing was so terrifying for some that they kept their eyes closed and were unwilling or unable to open them. Other patients were baffled by the perception of distance and darkness and shadows, and it was only uh, over a period of time that many people were able to understand what it was that they were seeing. One girl said this, that she was eager to tell her blind friend that, quote, men do not really look like trees at all. And she was astounded to discover that every visitor had an utterly different face. She had sort of imagined everyone sort of looked the same. And so it, it seems to me that this man was not born blind because of the way he responded to Jesus. That when his eyesight was restored, the fact that he's able to describe people as trees walking about suggests to me that before he lost his eyesight, he was nearsighted. I think seeing people walking about like trees is the way he had always seen the world. So Jesus could have said to him, what do you see? Well, I see, you know, people walking around like trees. You see blurry people? Good. That's good enough. That's what you used to see? See you later. But instead, in response to the man's answer, Jesus touches him a second time because Jesus knows that there is a better way of seeing. That he can do better than seeing the world the world of people like walking trees. The man may have been satisfied with blurry vision because that's all he knew. And it's certainly better than blindness. But Jesus wanted to restore him to what was possible, to see the way he's supposed to see. And so Mark emphasizes for us that his eyesight was not only restored, but that he was able to see clearly that it was more than trees walking about. Now, you know, I used to assume that everyone would want to see as clearly as possible. My wife, for example, you know, whenever she goes to see the eye doctor, she wants to see even better than 2020, right? She wants to see, like, the, the finest possible detail. But not everyone feels this way. It may be hard for some of you to believe this, but there are actually people in this room who are comfortable with not seeing clearly. One of my kids, in fact, refused to admit that he or she needed glasses. 
Because this child could see clearly things that were near when reading a book, for example, or playing video games. But then at school, you know, when the, the, the blackboard or screen was too far away, he or she would just move up closer, and that's how they got through school. When we finally convinced this child to get some glasses, he or she would just routinely not wear them. Or when they did wear them, you know, it was so smudged and dirty, you may as not have put them on, right? We just couldn't understand, like, how can you go through life when everything is kind of a hazy, like, how do you live like that? But this child, it's no problem. None whatsoever. I just found that just, I don't understand that. Right? Like, when you go to get your eyes checked, and the doctor says, you know, read the letters, right? And the eye chart. You see, I kind of see a blur. That's good enough. Like, no, you want to get as much detail as possible, right? It's not like I can kind of see. And so the doctor makes you go through all the lenses to, to fine-tune it so that you can see as clearly as possible. Because we know what it is to see clearly. We know what that's like. And so we, we trust the doctor to help us to get there. And so when, when, when we're asked, do you see clearly? What do you see? We answer honestly. Because we want to see better. This story, Jesus touches them the second time to make sure that happens. But before that second touch, and before that first touch to the eyes, there is another touch. And that is that Jesus took the man by the hand and walked away from the village with him. I imagine when the people first brought him to Jesus, they handled him roughly. Maybe he didn't want to go. Maybe he's used to people just, you know, doing whatever they wanted to him. Maybe all the noise of people shouting, touch him, heal him, was just another form of abuse or making fun of him. So I think he would have been surprised by what I imagine to be a gentle leading away from some people, from those who had brought him to be alone. And I think it's this first touch, this holding of the hand, away from some people, that made the blind man trust Jesus. This being held by the hand, I think that this human connection is something that he had longed for for a long time. Blind people in the ancient world were thought to be cursed by the gods. They were ostracized by their families and their communities. They were reduced to a life of begging. Like the leopards whom Jesus touched, I think this, this holding of the hand and leading him away meant an incredible amount to the blind man. I say this because, you know, normally on a typical Sunday, we shake hands. You shake my hand in a civil, mutually comfortable exchange of greetings. It's a good, orderly, Presbyterian method of saying hello. But during the past month, as you perceived 
the grief that I might be enduring, most of you instinctively gave me a hug instead. Right? For a couple of weeks, you hugged me as you left the sanctuary or in the fellowship hall. Frankly, I'm not a big hugger, as you know, so I'm a little hugged out so you don't have to hug me anymore. <laughs> but right, but that, that, that human contact that you instinctively knew, right, that meant a lot at that time. It's more than the mere formality of a handshake. It's a connection. And I imagine for this blind man, that's what it was like. This being held by the hand and being led away. So that he's not just merely a curiosity to be gawked at, but someone taken seriously, someone with whom Jesus has a conversation. And it's because of that first touch that the man is able to trust Jesus that when Jesus asks him, do you see anything, he is able to respond, honestly, I see people, but they look like walking trees. Right? The man could have said, yeah, I see, thank you, see ya. That's not a lie exactly, right? It's like when, when people ask you, you know, how's it going, and you just say, fine. That's not a lie, not really. But if someone that you, you care about or love asks you, how are you doing, you might elaborate a little more, right? You might say, yeah, I'm okay, but here's some things that I'm really struggling with. Can you pray for me? And so on. I think it's in this moment of vulnerability, in this moment of honesty and trust, that the blind man is able to receive further and full healing. Maybe some people have made it difficult for you to receive healing. Or maybe what you're seeing is what you're used to, and it's not so bad. Right? You're okay with seeing the world like trees walking about. Maybe you can't even imagine what seeing clearly looks like. But I think this is what God wants for us. I think that's why you're here. Maybe you're here on a detour so that you can see clearly. Maybe that's why some people brought you. And if you're wondering... How do we go about then trusting Jesus? How does this trusting Jesus work? Why should we trust this Jesus so we can see more clearly? You have to come back next week. Let's pray together. God, we thank you uh, for your word. And God, we we admit that we do not see clearly. Or God, we want to admit that we don't see clearly. I know some of us may think we don't need to see any better. But God, year to year, month to month, I see that my vision of you is always a little inaccurate. So God, help, help us 
to be open to the detours and the storms, to the places you send us, to those people that you have placed in our lives that lead us to you. And God, help us to trust you. To come to experience that gentle touch. And to be open to be embraced and to receive full healing. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.